Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado, also known as the Voice Connecting Women Veterans Nationwide. This podcast is for anyone connected with the military, from veterans, male and female, military spouses, military brats, even parents who may have children who are in the military. As an Air Force veteran, I understand the trials and triumphs that women veterans go through in service and out of service. And so I wanted to find a way that I could put it out there into the airwaves and let everyone know what we're going through and find a way and a solution to what's happening to us in the service. I also like to highlight these women who are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're bosses in their business. And so I hope that you will follow me, you will share, and you will subscribe to this podcast, which comes out every week on Tuesdays. And as always, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Welcome sisters in service to another episode of, you know what this is, sisters in service and you know who I am. I'm Kat Corchado. And my guest today is Megan Trapp. And you're probably saying, okay, I'm not sure who she is, but listen to this, y'all. She is an Air Force veteran. She is an entrepreneur of Deadlift Diva. Yeah, we're going to speak about that too. And also Megan Trap Coaching. She is the co-author of an internationally best-selling book called She Did It. And she's also a speaker um, about mental health, PTSD, and other issues within the veteran community. So Megan... Hi. Hi. Say hi. (laughs) So we're so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Super glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. So usually I ask about military service, but you did something really badass prior to being a military. I was like, why did she leave that to do the military? (laughs) So for those of you that are listening, um, Megan was a firefighter and EMT before she went in the military. So Megan, just give our audience a little insight into, was this something you always wanted to do? Or did you say, that looks really cool. I want to do that. It was kind of more than that looks really cool. People always are like, how did you get into firefighting? And I'm like, I don't really know. I just... You know, I, um, I think I kind of, I knew deep down when I was done with high school, you know, I just knew like college was not the right answer for me. I I hated high school because I was just so bored. You know, I was definitely capable, but I just, I didn't want to be there. And so after I got, you know, got done with high school and graduated, I was, I was finding myself. Right. And I went and worked, you know, tons of jobs and had really cool experiences and moved around a little bit, but woke up one day, I was like 24, 24 and a half. I'm like, what am I doing in my life? All my friends are graduating college and getting married. And, you know, and I think that pressure from society of feeling yes. like you have to have it all figured out in your twenties, which no one does. Know, but that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just the, the stuff that, you know, I think the box that society puts us in. And I had had, you know, uncles that did it and, and guy friends that were firefighters and had been in the, uh, the, you know, the fire department service, the public safety and, and I just, I one day was like, you know what, I'm going to be a firefighter. And so I started looking into, you know, I was in Colorado, which is where I'm from and was looking into, okay, what do I need to do to start my path? Um, there's a lot of stuff you have to do and most states require you to be an EMT. So I knew I had to get at least my EMT and figure out how to do that. So yeah, I, I went and actually went out to um, Illinois where my aunt is, aunt and grandparents were living and she's like one of the highest board certified in the state of Illinois for She's been a paramedic for years, flight paramedic, teaches all the EMT courses. Wow. Like so she's kind of a big deal. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yes, she she's also <laughs> very smart, very knowledgeable in the medical world, in the EMS world. And, um, you know, so if I stayed home in Colorado, I mean, even the colleges, it was like $3,500 to take an EMT course. And so wow. I was like, how am I going to pay for that? And so my dad reminded me that, you know, because it's his sister and, that's what I did. I put my stuff in storage and I just hopped the train out to Illinois and stayed with family who I had yeah. years and started taking classes um, and then came back to Colorado and started applying to fire departments. Um, got on with Franktown Fire, which is south of kind of in between Denver and Colorado Springs. And I started as a volunteer and then, of course, went paid on call and other stuff and 
after a couple of years, um, I had an ex-boyfriend who had been a cadet at the Air Force Academy and was like, oh, you should totally join. And yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, fine. Let me see what this is about. I talked to the recruiter, but I was kind of like, whatever, you know. And so I went in and I was like, listen, I'm 27 years old. Um, you know, like, I'm not doing this unless I get the job that I want. Right. And so he was like, well, I can't guarantee you that, but I'll do my best. And it worked out that way. So, yeah. So what job did you get in the Air Force? I got firefighter. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So before you went into the military, is is it, you have you know, when you're a firefighter, you're also an EMT, so they're not mutually exclusive? Or does it depend on most of the state? It depends on more rural might be a little bit different, but even as a volunteer, typically most departments require you to have that just because um, sometimes as firefighters, you're the first one on scene, right? But EMS may not be able to be there first to an accident or a medical call or trauma or whatever, right? And same thing even in a fire, if you're going in and rescuing people, we're the first ones on scene. So you have to know being an EMT, it's EMT basic. EMT, right. Um, so it's kind of, you know, of course, medical stuff is always changing. Yeah. CPR and know. all that other stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to know the basic life-saving skills mm-hmm. because you're probably the first one there as a firefighter. Um, even if you have a privatized ambulance, like your district is in, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, typically, that's how it's been. And, and that's what I really mm-hmm. went to kind of at the time. And this was 2006 when I first started. Of course, it's changed a lot since then, but yeah. for the most part, yeah. Um, you know, and then they have some an- some fire departments have their own ambulance companies, so they'll hire specifically firefighter paramedics or firefighter EMTs that will ride on the ambulance, but they're also a firefighter. Um, so it just kind of depends on the, the mix-up. Yeah, oh, my, my father-in-law was a firefighter. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> and he, to- he tells me this story about how he wasn't the driver, but apparently the driver was unavailable for whatever reason. He had to drive a fire truck. Oh, my God. And he said he took out a few poles with him. So, and it was a brand new truck. I was like, oh, my. I've seen those things. I've seen people, like, I'll see them backing it into the, the firehouse. And I stand and watch because I don't I have a hard time backing my own car into a parking spot. And they're parking this huge massive machine like it's just mm-hmm. you know oh, okay yeah, done that was, that was part of our upgrade you had to learn all of you guys had to learn oh, yeah. how to do yeah, oh good lord not certified not only as a fire you know i came in and it was funny because the air force is much more they don't you know it's not like a civilian department where you could stay as you could still right stay riding tailboard for your whole career 20 years in the fire service and just be the nozzle man or the Hydrant men or, you know. Yeah, see, that'd be me. Talking. I just I just want to right, pour I the water. It. I just want right. to do the I, water. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm like, let's go in, you know, right? And so when they were like, oh, yeah, part of your upgrade training, you get to your first duty station. And that's mm-hmm. like the Air Force has upgrade training. You need three level, five level. It's how you get trained. And so they were like, yeah, you have to get your driver operator. And I'm like, what? I don't want to be an engineer. Are you insane that all those people's lives are in my hands and I got to know the calculations on the hose and how much water I'm flowing. I mean, it is a lot of information. It's not yeah. just driving the truck. I mean, you're, it's intense and you're operating. Like you It's know, almost like uh, you have to kind of know everybody else's job too, just in case oh, you yeah. have to fill in. And I think, you know, at the time I was, I was like, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just wanted to drive the truck. I didn't want to do all this other stuff. I just want to fight fire. (laughs) But, you know, looking back on it, um, the Air Force is phenomenal at setting us up for success if we stay in or Mm -hmm. if we get out. I mean, that translates over into civilian, even though civilian, you know, being a firefighter, you still have to test. You have to do all this stuff, right? Right. You don't jump on a fire department. Right. But it made me such a more well-rounded firefighter as well as, you know, an airman. And then of course, putting on of course. You know, when I staff sergeant, it made me understand and appreciate the job so much better because you do, you literally rotate through every single position on that fire truck or, or that, you know, the ambulance or whatever. I mean, you're learning all of those job skills, not just being, you know, on the nozzle and being in the, the, the heat of the moment and the fire right. being on a rescue crew and rescuing your victims here, you're, um, you're learning all of it. Yes. <laughs> so it, it definitely came in handy later mm. on down the road of my career. 
So I know that you, um, in the military, you were in Kuwait. And while you were there, you, you speak about being sexually assaulted while you were there. Can you give us a little backstory? I mean, you don't have to tell us the whole part of it, but what was your, so you go over to Kuwait and you're thinking what? Like you get there and your first thought is, holy crap, where am I at? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we got there in July and I'm going to die. I mean, it was 125 our first day in country. Wow. 125. And I was like, this is insane. I mean, if you know anyone who's been knows and you think, oh, if you've been to Iraq or Afghanistan, you're like, oh, it's the Middle East. It's all the same. It's not. Kuwait is literally one of the hottest places ever. And I don't understand why. I'm like, why? I mean, yes, it's it's hot. Again, it's hot in Afghanistan. It's hot in Iraq, Jordan, Syria, all those countries. But then there's hot. There's hot, and then there's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, I'm I'm you know what is it? Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the guy's face is melting off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah, and it's crazy. And then our job as a firefighter, you have to be it, like there's, and then there was fires breaking out all when we got there, like dumpster fires and stuff because it was so so hot yeah and you know like you know you know the the stuff that they use to build the you know the the barriers or the you know the structure equipment and Mm -hmm. like one of the hydraulic lines burst i mean it's it's insane it's like (laughs) so yeah i got there and i'm like this is what is this you know but going in i thought this is going to be i told myself oh this is going to be a cake deployment it's kuwait you have a pool got a movie theater on base you've got you know it's not a real everyone's like oh it's not a real deployment it's cool right okay which we just laugh about right like okay whatever so how soon after you got there did the sexual assault happen um i got there in july and it happened the basically october so you know early i had gotten involved with another i mean i was an nco myself and didn't of course, everybody, you know, if you've been in the military for any kind of time, you just know that deployments and dating, it doesn't work because right. you're from different bases. It's, I mean, it can work, not saying that it can't, because I know, I know couples that have, you know, they've been on deployment and went on to get married, but it's very challenging. It's challenging alone today in the military and get married, but on a deployment, it makes it that much more challenging. So I had no intention of any of that. And I met this guy and, you know, he really pursued me um he started showing up at the fire department all the time wanting to hang out and like when i would be on duty and stuff and i found out that he had lied about being married i mean i found out through social media and i was furious and confronted him about it and he it still continued to lie like oh we're separated oh we're you know and then got the truth out so i said don't ever talk to me again i cut complete ties with him because but did it freak you out that he was everywhere you were at the same time after, after that what happened is um he was in the rotation before me. So I knew he was going home. So that was kind of like, okay, at least that part's better. Right. Right. <laughs> stay the whole deployment with him. I thought, yeah, we're on a deployment. It's, I mean, I started seeing some very creepy things, red flags. And because he just, he got obsessed, he freaked out. And I mean, started like his friend from my friends and started even accusing them of sleeping with me or hooking up with me because oh, we, I, would, I mean he was nuts he would like yeah. interrogate them and they were like dude you, you're first of all you're married so why do you care why do you care you? right <laughs> but, I mean, yeah he was showing up everywhere i was going and the final weekend they were supposed to leave on a monday and that that's the weekend he not the first night was in a crowded movie theater with i mean there was four officers sitting behind us when he physically assaulted me and then um the next night because I was really good friends with his roommate and, and that's when the sexual assault occurred. And I was horrified. I mean, I was so scared of, of him because of his behaviors. I'm like, this guy is going to kill me if I come forward while he's still here in the AOR. Um, and the chaplain, and luckily I had an amazing chaplain who I was confiding in all this time. And he even was like, you know, this is really, this is concerning me for your safety. Yes. Um, and so I said, I, I trust me, I promise I'm going to come forward, but I want him like gone first. Absolutely. Forward until he was stateside. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, just the way that I was treated even by one of the head chaplains who was a former security forces guy, the stuff that he said to me was appalling. One of the things he brought up was, well, why didn't you come forward then? And I'm like, 
I'm sorry, what? You know, oh, excuse me. I mean, it was it was just I had to stay there. They did the investigation, OSI. I mean, it was serious. Mm-hmm. What was your mindset going through all that? Were you kind of floating? And I don't mean floating through it as in, you know. We're just kind of detached. Airheaded. But yeah, kind of detached. Like you're yeah. watching yourself walk go through these motions? Is that how it felt for you? Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was so not myself. I was just, you know, I was a mess and I it just so much, which is insane. Right. But that's what everyone does. I think for the most part, you put so much guilt and shame on yourself. On yourself. And, you know, the guys that I worked with, they didn't really know what was going on, but some of them were being brought in to be questioned. Like, you know, the interaction between me and this guy, because you know, they'd seen him. He'd been hanging out with me for period of time and it just I mean it's embarrassing too because it's yes. like here I'm supposed to be I'm an NCO I'm a I'm you know a firefighter which is a male dominated career field and I just I mean I would my I was just I would flip out about stuff. I mean I I I'm dealing with the stress of the deployment alone is enough, right? Right. I was NCOIC of logistics and of the dispatch, the 911 dispatch operations center, two huge jobs. Yes. They combined them into one position. Very stressful. Um, I mean, I had the airmen I was in charge of, you know, working for me in the, in the, uh, in dispatch. I had to make sure that they were, you know, following the schedule following, I mean, anything, right. And any big kind of emergency, I would, I had to have a phone on me at all times. I'd have to go in. But that's a huge load. On top yeah, of everything top of, else. Right, exactly. So I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with my job position. I'm dealing with the investigation. I'm dealing with my own, you know, how do I even deal with being assaulted? I'm away from home. I'm completely traumatized. I'm angry. My emotions are all over the place. And I was going to school to finish my degree. I was in my last class. I mean, I, looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I, and I was dealing with injuries too. I had a torn rotator cuff. I had a broken tailbone. I mean, they kept me there for the entire deployment. And to me, it was mind blowing. It was like, there is so much going on. Why am I even here? Is it really that necessary? Am I that important? Important. To right. <laughs> you guys, you know, and when I came home and, you know, years down the road, I stayed in touch with a lot, especially my, luckily I had phenomenal leadership at the time. Um, my fire chief, my direct supervisor, um, that knew, you know, cause I, I, I let them know what was going on. My commander, I mean, they were wonderful. They were 100% supportive. They did whatever they could to, you know, to be there for me and to let me, and let me know. Well, thank like, goodness for that. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine yeah. if you didn't have them on your side. I mean, that's just, that's a recipe for disaster. You know, well, unfortunately, that's what happened when I came home. My own command is what was the downfall of my career. Oh my goodness! And I spoke too soon. <laughs> no. Yeah, and it's you know, and it's crazy because yeah, I looked back on it and I was like, because that was one of the things, and I was I was like, wow, I was so blessed in that moment to have such great leadership at the in the the midst of the investigation and in the deployment, and you know, I would tell them when I come home like. I'm so sorry. Like that person was not me. That's not who I am. And they're like, you have nothing to apologize for. You were going through so much. Through so time. much. Right. Um, you know, they were awesome. And they, these guys wrote, you know, character reference letters for me a year and a half later when all the stuff was going on at home. And um, I mean, so these were wonderful, you know, just phenomenal leaders mm-hmm. that created their job. So I had all that. Um, it was still kind of ongoing when I got home. I had a SBC, a Special Victims Council, assigned to me, a lawyer, you know, through the Air Force. Came home, and I think it kind of, you know, the investigation was kind of on the tail end, but it was still going, ongoing. And it was hard because the main shift had gone, okay, let's get all this stuff in and get you prepared because I needed to go in and get my shoulder checked out. I needed, you know, I ended up having to have surgery and all the stuff that I had to do, just a lot of things that my assault kind of took the back seat. Um, and it ended up that he ended up being protected by his leadership. It was a command directed investigation and they completely swept it under the rug. I mean, this guy, <clears throat> yeah, he only got charged with physical assault and adultery, refused to charge him with sexual assault. So they gave him the article 
what is it, 128 and 130, whatever, adultery, I think it's 130 or 136. Anyway, they charge him with that. His commander, you know, just, and it was just infuriating. It was such a slap in the face. And then they came back and had the nerve to say, well, what would you like to see as a punishment? And I'm thinking, why are you even asking me at this point? Because you aren't even charging him with sexual assault. I would have said, I would have had a laundry list. I'm like, here you go. <laughs> I would have flipped so, it out. <laughs> I knew my stuff and I knew that he had made tech sergeant. He had made E6. Oh, they allowed, allowed him allowed. to make rank. Well, no, he was, he had made it before he came. Got it. But I knew that when he put it on, it was his last time testing. Like if he hadn't have made it that time, he would have been out higher tenure. And I remembered that from my time with him. And I was like, that's the key to get him out. So I said to my lawyer, I said, let's push for a demotion because he'll be demoted back down to staff sergeant, higher tenure. They have to kick him out. A goal accomplished. This person should not be in the military. He's a predator. He does not align with the Air Force core values. Right. And this happened in 2016. Yeah. Good grief. Okay. So, so mind you, yeah, I come home, it's in the height of the Me Too movement too. And it was insane to me. It was like, this is, this is like big everywhere in the civilian sector. And yet this is what's going on in our military. So yeah, I pushed for the, the demotion thinking, great, he'll get kicked out. He will have no longer be, you know, in the military and be serving. Tell me it worked. His, they allowed him to yeah. keep his rank. His JAG came back and said, well, the commander went ahead and just decided to do it without even waiting for me to get back to him. But he decided to demote him with a suspension to protect him from being dishonorably discharged or, you know, higher tenure. Right. So, yeah, we're going to demote you for six months. And if you're on good behavior, you'll get your rank back in six months. That's what happens. So during this time, so after that happens, what kind of mind frame were you in after that you know because there's this you're in the midst of it you're in the midst of it and then all of a sudden it's over where were where were you mentally in that you know after it's over and you're in this space what did that feel like it was um it was like it was a joke i mean it was you know and anyone who served and i mean even when i came in i came in january of 2009 and i had had I mean, anyone that knows, you have it beat into your head from day one. There's a zero tolerance policy for sexual assault within the military. You know, mental health is our number one priority. We care about our airmen and soldiers and Marines and sailors and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, you get briefed on it, just the PowerPoints and the crap that they shove in your head, in your ears, wherever, wherever just, you know, in one right. or the other. Right, right. Single month or every quarter, you know, pretty much all the time. You got to go these briefings. Oh, it's mandatory briefing on whatever. And you're like, seriously? Basic training, even like, okay, you know, your first, you know, this is is not acceptable in the military and we don't allow this. And it's an open door policy. And when it's all said and done, it's basically like CYA for them. That is what it felt like. And obviously, I can't put the blanket statement on every single leadership. Right or command or every person in the military, the entire Air Force as a whole, or the entire DOD as a whole. But you hear this story all the the time. time. Yeah, exactly. Most of the time. Even even different services. It sounds like the same. I've heard this story before. Exactly. And, you know, that was my point. It was like, you guys sit here and jam this in. It's mandatory. You say that you take this stuff seriously. And then when it happens, look how you handle it. Right. I mean, look at Vanessa Guillen. Yeah. You know, and it's disturbing. It's beyond disturbing. Um, and so I was a mess. I mean, I was just, you want to talk about rage and anger. And I mean, I could, mm-hmm. I was so, I was ready to snap at any moment. And I, when I mean snap, I mean, I would drive. I had horrible road rage. I would, I was ready to like get out of my car and fist fight people that cut me off. That's how much anger I had going on all the time. That makes sense. Yeah. For me at all. Um, And it got worse because of what started happening with my leadership. You know, I was forced to go to therapy. It was part of my treatment plan. I was ordered to go to mental health 
and have those discussions. And this was, you know, later kind of like end of summer, 2017. And, uh, I went to my leadership because my, my guard, you know, I was guard at the time. I'd gone from active duty to guard, I, you know, from Colorado, was living there, had just bought a house when I came back. So that was a huge milestone. It was kind of a big thing. My first time buying a home, it was awesome, but I couldn't even really enjoy it because all this other stuff was going on. And, and um, I was working up in Cheyenne. Cheyenne is 117 miles from where I lived, from Denver. Whoa. So they put me on active duty orders. They call med con orders, medical continuation, because, you know, you're guard. So it's a little bit different than active duty. I was forced to report up there. Everything was in Denver and my MTF was Buckley Air Force Base, which is 26 miles from me in Colorado. So my doctors, my primary care doctors there, my surgeon was in Denver. My physical therapist was in, you know, basically Lakewood where... So let's see how hard we can make this for her. <laughs> right. Jeez. And yes, I, I chose that, but obviously I live there. Why would I choose to have all my appointments and my stuff up in Cheyenne? Right. And so I would try to get most of my, I would have to cram all of my appointments into a Monday and then dr- go drive up there Monday night, stay in a hotel from Tuesday to Friday and then come back down. And if it was a drill weekend, I had to stay through the whole weekend for drill. So mind you, it's not just that, that. How much money were these people wasting on paying me gas mileage, hotel? I mean, it was crazy to me. And so I finally approached my command and said, you know, because my um, my medical continuations orders came from Randolph Air Force Base out of Texas, and I talked to the AFRC there, and they were awesome. You know, my my case manager, <laughs> they were like, you know, we're going to extend you another eight weeks because I didn't understand at the time that part part of my treatment plan was actually going to therapy because my treatment plan consisted of, yes, like getting help for the shoulder, having the surgery, doing physical therapy, but that's the other thing. Like you were assaulted on a deployment, you right. need therapy. Right. And so I was like, oh, so simple misunderstanding. I was like, okay, you know, got started going into therapy and um, that's why they extended my orders because they wanted to allow me time to continue treatment and, So I went to my, and I asked my case manager, I said, you know, what are the requirements for these orders? Do I have to be, you know, going to Cheyenne for this and working there? Like, and they were like, no, you know, if you can work it out with your leadership. um, And I said, okay, because I was thinking if I can work at Buckley and finish my orders there, it's 26 miles from my house. Right. Which is a better um, than sure. what Cheyenne a hundred something. Yeah. That and just I'm doesn't like, even sure, seem right. Yeah, I'm sure they could use my help. You know, because not only was I a firefighter at that time, I had actually cross trained into medevac, so I had my. I was a four and I was a medic. I was a flyer, and I was like, you know, I know Buckley because I go there all the time, and I know these people are always, always like their appointments are so backed up because they don't have enough medics. They don't have right. enough med and I said, I can guarantee that they would probably love to have me in there helping out. And it would help me out to not, plus I'm saving my unit money right. by not having to come up here. And so I approached my fire chief once I had the approval and he was like, yeah, you know, let's set up a meeting with the commander. And if there's, I don't have a problem with it. If, if she's, you know, have, you need to have something in, mm-hmm. in place, like a plan and like who you're going to report to and those, you know, of course it's military, they want details. So I approached the flight chief for the med group at Buckley. Um, she was she was like, let me t- let me push it to my leadership. And she was like, I don't see why it would, that would help, you know that would help us out. And I said, right, they're they're struggling for med techs. Um, so she got it approved. She was like, you'll report to me. You can give them my information. I had everything set up. I requested a meeting, um, and then all of a sudden, I come back from lunch one day, and my fire chief and my, you know. He's a senior NCO, the girl in charge of my LODs. She was med group, but she was the one that like processed all of your line of duty determinations. Right. Are anytime you're injured in the line of duty, she handled all of that. So they show up at, you know, she was down at the fire station, which was like unheard of. So I knew something was up and I had just come back from lunch and they were like, so, you know, we went and met with the commander and I'm like, wait, what? Because I had specifically asked, like, this is my meeting. I'm the one that approached you with this idea. And I, it's me. I have to advocate for myself. Right. They went ahead and just had the meeting without me. And decided what? And decided, nope. And you're going to switch all your appointments up here to Cheyenne. And I was like, what? First of all, no. 
you know, excuse my language. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you are not going to force me. Why? That makes no sense. I live in Colorado. I'm right. not, you know, you guys are not coming in here and trying to tell me. And I've been with, I can't get around the fact that my surgeon is my surgeon. So long story short, I requested to meet with the commander because I, I told my chief, I said, you know, I'm kind of at a loss for why I wasn't in this meeting when I requested it. And I would like to some feedback as to why the answer was no. And he was like, sure. You know, he, he, he didn't care. I mean, right. he was never around the station anyway. And he was like, yeah, go set up a meeting with them. And I was like, all right. So I go in and I show up and I have like my first sergeant, the group first sergeant, my group commander, not my squadron commander, but my group commander. And I'm like, uh oh, these people doing here. <laughs> I requested a meeting with the commander, not my entire chain of command. Like, right. what is going on? And she had been my squadron commander for Aravac. So she knew me personally. She yeah. knew me very well before she became that commander. helps. That helps. And I, yeah, I thought I have a great relationship with this woman. She mm-hmm. approved me to take a contracting job as a firefighter in 2015 to leave for a year to go work because her husband was a firefighter. So I'm thinking, okay, you know. You have an ally. Nope. Went in and I told her, she said, okay, well, I've had, I've heard from everybody else, you know, before this, obviously, and just kind of want to hear from you, like what your thoughts are and like what, you know, why you were requesting this thing. And I told her exactly how I told everyone else. And her answer was, we don't care. This is your wing. This is your unit. You're going to work here. You're going to come up here. We have work for you to do here. And it was like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what? These people, I mean, in that moment, it was like, it became very clear that these people did not care about no. me. No. They did not care about my mental health. No. Because I was like, I am not doing well. Like, I'm asking you guys for help. Now, did you, you eventually know? go to mental health? I had already been, yeah, at that so, point, I had already So you were already done. You were done at that point? I wasn't done. I was okay. ongoing, which was why mm-hmm. they wanted to continue the orders. Now, did it help? Did it help you? Or did you find something else that helped you more? That did, but... But, you know, because I did have a great, you know, I actually ended up transferring to Buckley's mental health at the time. I was seeing a a civilian therapist who didn't really understand the intricacies of the military. Um, And they were really bullying her and bullying me to, like, turn over my entire record, which was a HIPAA violation. I mean, it was crazy the stuff these people did. So, yeah, eventually it just... I ended up finding something, you know, finding NLP really was, was what I found and, and finding. So you um, found NLP in 2019. Well, you didn't found it, but you, you, you discovered it for yourself. <laughs> so explain to our audience what neuro linguistic, I can't even say it. I'm trying, I'm trying to put a little twang on it. Neuro linguistic. See, I did it again. Neuro linguistic programming is what is it? And, and why did it help you? Why do you think it helped you? So I'll back up just a tiny bit. In 2015 is when I had formed my, my fitness brand, Deadlift Diva. You know, I had been I was a PTL in the Air Force. Being a firefighter, you have to be extremely fit, you know, in shape. Um, fitness was just a huge part of my life. I loved it, had a huge passion for it. So when I created, it was an online business, you know, and I, I didn't know anything about anything when it came to online business. And that's the people that I ended up meeting just through that avenue of being an online entrepreneur, you know, that's what they call themselves. And that's what I am now, but meeting these people who are just incredibly knowledgeable and skilled at, you know, running a business from online. And I'm talking, you know, they're entrepreneurs. I mean, they're six figure, seven, eight figure businesses and are traveling the world and working from a laptop. So of course that idea was very appealing. Like, hello, you know, okay. So I had started Deadlift Diva, and that's how I started meeting all these amazing people in my my network, going to masterminds. I came home. Um, I started reading Tony Robbins' book um, while I was deployed, Awaken the Giant Within. And that kind of planted the seed. So when I came home and was going through all of this, 2018 was rough. I mean, they kicked it into high gear. They started coming after me hard, my chain of command. I fought back. They didn't like that. Um, I ended up losing everything. I mean, it was like the rug was pulled out underneath, you know, from underneath me. I mean, I, I, would, I had 10 years in, I was halfway through nursing school right. as a flight nurse and become an officer. And that was it. My career was over no longer. I mean, I didn't get retirement. I didn't have, 
firefighting, it was like I lost everything all at once. All the, every, everything. I mean, I was military firefighter of the year. I had, you know, Air Force achievement medals. I had Air Till you fight back. Till you fight back. Deployment. And then they're yeah. like. Oh, they were, they were, she's emotionally unstable. She's a scumbag firefighter and an NCO. And I'm like, where? I have and, the proof right here. <laughs> right. It was, it was horrific. And so because I had those people kind of in place in my life already from meeting them through, you know, I went to a Tony Robbins event in 2017. And so 2019, it was just a couple months. It was March-ish of 2019. And I, I mean, I, when I say I hit rock bottom, I did. And I was even in denial about my mental health. I had one foot on the ledge of, you know, of suicide. And I, I still kind of even lied to myself about it because I was like, well, I'm not, as bad as I mean, I'm not out here planning my suicide. Right. I'm not like giving my stuff away and like this is how I'm going to do it. But I would lay. I couldn't get out of bed. I would lay in bed every day with my dog, and just want to. I mean, wishing that I would die. Wishing I'm like God, just come down and take me off the earth. I'm done. I don't want to be here. I give up. Um, and and to have those thoughts as a very very hardworking, dedicated, motivated, you know, I mean, I was the only female in my fire department pretty much everywhere I went um, and kicked ass at what I did because I did have to prove myself, even though they always said I didn't. I had to. You had to. They'll eat Whether they say you you don't have to or not, <laughs> you do. You just oh, do. Yeah. Because they, I mean, I was always being judged. There was always people in my business. I mean, especially on active duty, everybody knew me as the female firefighter. That was my, you know, Oh, you're the female firefighter. Like I have a name, you know, (laughs) but, um, so yeah, I got to that point where I just, I I felt worthless. I felt like I'm nothing without those things. And I had a friend who I'd met on one of these masterminds that I went to in Orlando and um, just the previous fall before it was like September. Yeah. September of 2018. And she's from Nova Scotia and she has, um, she's like, their stuff is similar to ours, but I don't know. I think she's like a master's in social work and very much trauma, uh, domestic violence, you know, works with those kinds of patients. So she and I really connected when she heard my story, of course. And it was right after she had been in Colorado for an event and she, she messaged me and she said, Megan, Um, I just finished my, she had taken NLP practitioner and she was like, this course changed my life. You need to go. And I was like, nothing can help me at this point. Right. (laughs) You know, I was so skeptical and cynical. I'm like, yeah, okay. So did you think of it as this is your last (laughs) chance to, to, did you kind of think of it that way? Oh yeah. I I was like, well, what do I have to lose? I have nothing else, you know? And so she put me in touch with, with her mentor and then the person who runs the program is Scott Jackson. And um, he, I reached out to him. She introduced us. And, and because I was local, it was perfect. And he's up in Boulder, Colorado. I'm in Denver, basically. And so we scheduled a launch that week. And I met him and kind of just told him a little bit about myself. And he was like, yeah, I absolutely can help you. And it's going to change your life. And it was hard because it was a huge investment. I mean, it was like a $6,000 course. Yeah, that's, like, that's pretty steep. Whoa! <laughs> but I had just, I think part of it too is I had just a year and a half prior had taken Tony Robbins' event, which was also a huge, you know, his business mastery. Um, and that's one of the things you learn is looking at a price tag on something like, yeah, that initial shock. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of money, but that's an investment. In Investing it. Yeah, that's I was just about to say that. Yourself. Yeah. And it gets you primed and kind of understanding like, if you're that serious, you have to be that serious. Like, you know, that, that it's not just about the money. Like, yeah. Okay. It's, a, but it's not like I'm going to a casino and blowing five, right. $6,000 shopping. That's, that's quite right. a bit of shoes. Right. I'm just so like, I went to Rodeo Drive and I'm like, you know, Louis Vuittons and stuff. Right. right. It's just investment in you. Um, and I had just a, phenomenally insane transformation. When I say like insane, I mean, I had physical ailments still cause I had broken my tailbone on that deployment too. And they had never really addressed it. About it. Right. Cause they're like, well, it's a tailbone. We can't, I had fallen and had a compression fracture in the gym cause somebody had left weights out and I tripped over them. And um, it, because I was so fit at the time and even 
once I healed from my shoulder surgery, I was like really, really well, you know, I was training at a gym and, you know, just started teaching classes like crazy all the time. And so end of 2018 into 2019, I woke up and it was scary. I mean, I thought I was paralyzed. I couldn't move my, my cause the, I had overcompensated for a little too long, but also cause that was at the height of my mental like trauma really right. coming out. With they kind of collided and, and people, you know, it's interesting because people still kind of don't correlate like our physical health is 100% tied to our mental and emotional health. Yes. If we have trauma that we're carrying in our body, it affects us physically. I mean, disease is dis-ease. Dis-ease, yes. And that is what I learned in NLP. So I go to this course. It's it's practitioner, NLP practitioner. I learn hypnosis. Um, I learn about, you know, the five major negative emotions and releasing those emotions. And when I say like I had a physiological reaction, I was under hypnosis because you have to, we have to do it to each other, our, our partner, because that's stuff that I have to go through because I have to be able to teach, you know, my, my client or coach yes. them. You go through it yourself. So you really understand it. Um, and when I was coming up, the first major negative emotion is anger. And it's no surprise for me that that was a big one, right? I mean, when I told you some of the right. stuff, like the anger that I had. And when I released a lot of those, you go through kind of like your life as a timeline. So you're looking at past, present, future, and you release events. You're able to have a different um, takeaway from it. Your perception is changed around especially traumatic events like what I've been through. And I was releasing anger. We cleaned up all the stuff, and I was coming up out of hypnosis, and I started getting sick. The whole room started spinning. (laughs) You're detoxing, girl. What is going on? I was like, I'm going to throw up. Yes. I was like spinning. I had my eyes closed and I'm in hypnosis. But Oh, wow. Getting ready to come back up from hypnosis. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like nausea. Just all of the the stuff, right, associated with it. And I came to and my my mentor was paying attention because I had had a a very – he had to help my partner because, you know, I had – especially having the trauma that I had. So he kind of jumped in with a few things and – and so he was paying close attention and he said he could kind of tell something was going on. He's like, Megan, what's going on? You know, how are you feeling? How do you feel? And I said, well, I feel amazing. And I just released all this stuff, but I feel sick. Like I was coming up and the room started spinning. I feel nauseous. <laughs> I feel dizzy. I feel like I'm going to throw up or I'm going to pass out or I don't know. And he was like, he kind of chuckled and he said, yeah, you've been holding on to like 24 years of, tra- of stuff. Trauma. Yeah. I mean, that would make you a little dizzy, a little upset stomach type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you know, and then you go on to the other ones, right? Well, (laughs) the next morning I came in for the course, it was my partner's turn. I was getting to be the coach and she was going to be the client. And I said, you know, I just wanted to share with you guys. I have absolutely zero tailbone pain. That whole class, you're sitting, I mean, yeah, you're moving a little bit, but we're sitting on chairs and we're you know, sitting and mm-hmm. I had, I mean, I had to keep shifting constantly because of the pain. And I said, my pain is totally gone right now. So, it's amazing how stuff yeah. like that manifests in <laughs> yeah. your body. Isn't yeah. it though? Because, you know, being in the fitness realm, like you are, you know, when people come in and, and they say, oh, I've, you know, I'm thinking about going to orthopedic surgeon because of my shoulder. And I said, if I can show you how to correct your posture, yeah. Yeah. maybe you won't need the surgeon. And they're like, no, it's been hurting me forever. And I was like, just give me a little time, you know? So it's funny you said that. So you become this practitioner. Is this what your uh, coaching, the Megan Trap coaching incorporates also? Yes. So what kind of clients do you take? Um, Who's I mean, a good client really, for you? I thought in the in the beginning that my ideal clients would be more females because obviously typically with, with assault and with you know, rape and, and all those things that typically more women, not saying that there aren't men. I've actually had a, quite a few men reach out to me after I started, started sharing my story publicly. Um, and I thought that was kind of what, and I did, I, I definitely attracted more female clients to, you know, it makes sense. Right. But I've seen and, and kind of things, you always evolve, you always change and you never really know what, what path it can take you. I mean, you have the idea, but I would say definitely, kind of even opened up more to where it's like veterans and, you know, those suffering from PTSD, whether it be from combat or assault or 
Um, so it's definitely kind of, it changes over the years. I think that's, that's really, I mean, the crazy thing and the amazing thing about NLP is it can, it can help anyone. Some people yeah. might be coming in for, you know, like, okay, I want, I'm the CEO of a fortune 500 company and I want my, you know, I want my team and me to hit X amount of dollars this year. NLP, you know, that's their goal. But that's the thing that's amazing is that you may come in for one specific goal or one specific outcome. It changes your entire life because yeah. you apply it to one of the areas of your life. And it applies to almost all of it. Yeah. And yes. It's going to have a positive impact on your relationships with your, your spouse or your kids or your family. Uh, you're going to have, you know, it's going to uh, affect your, your spirituality. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a religious person or just a spiritual person. I mean, it just overall, it, it affects what we call the pillar, the six pillars of life. Because you're you're changing your perception, you're you're expanding uh, your knowledge and your mindset, and you're applying the same. Even though you're applying it to like one specific thing, it's going to have that overflow kind of effect on everything else. Um, so I would say, yeah, I mean, it's I have those those as my clients right now, those mm-hmm. categories, but it's ever evolving and it's ever changing. Of course, <laughs> um, I mean, it was amazing within within that was made by. I think I was approached to write the book in like September of that year. I mean, and when they always say, you know, like you have to take action. Action is important in in mindset and growth because it is right. Taking action really is the catalyst for things happening, uh, manifesting. And I did within months. I mean, I I started sharing my story publicly. I just started doing lives on Facebook about my story because I had never shared it. Um, and I started just getting amazing feedback from everybody, anybody and everybody that I was, uh, were watching my lives. People, like I said, I had guys, uh, who were messaging me privately and saying, thank you so much for sharing this. I was assaulted when I was in the service. And I think for men, wow. it's even yeah. harder for them to talk about because, oh yeah. So, you know, I know how it felt as a woman because I had such a masculine job and I was living in my masculine energy and there's a difference, you know, I don't like the word toxic masculinity because it's not really, not that it's not a thing, but I think people label that too much. Like it's not that it's masculine energy isn't toxic. We all have it. and We all need it. We all Having exactly balance that being equally balanced in your feminine and your masculine energy. Right. For me, I was living so much in, in your masculine energy yeah. that I had no feminine energy showing up, which was mm-hmm. why I was just so you know, <laughs> angry and stuff. But yeah, so within months, I am sharing my story. I'm, um, I got asked to co-author the book that I co-authored. And tell us I, the name of the book and where we can find it. Yeah, it's called She Did It. And um, like I said, it's co-authored. It features myself and nine other, 19 other, so 20 total uh, female entrepreneurs. And basically, we just got our own chapter. It's our, you know, we're able to share our story and share how we found our path into, you know, being a, a, a female coach or a female business owner, you know, all of us have different backgrounds and things and um, just kind of insight into other, you know, empowering other women. Right. I mean, of course it's for men too, but really empowering other women and uplifting them and taking that step into running mm-hmm. their own, their own business and working for themselves or doing whatever that they find passion with. Um, yeah. And it's on, mm-hmm. it's on Amazon Kindle. It's on Amazon. Um, I have links to, which I, believe I have in the the stuff for you, but I can get you those links. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So tell us, tell our audience where they can find you. If they need you for NLP, they want to know more about your um, Deadlift Diva company, or they need you for speaking engagements. Where can people find you? um, So I have obviously my, my Facebook page, Megan Trapp. I have my personal page and then all of my information is listed on there as well. But Megan Trapp coaching is my business Facebook page as well as my Instagram. Um, same thing with LinkedIn, Megan Trapp. Of course, once my, my daughter's born, I will be kicking the, kicking things back up with speaking <laughs> events. That's how I actually found, which was really cool, is because it was really kind of intimidating at first, like going and speaking to any kind of military unit, like what? You know, <laughs> it was a little, little, uh, you think intimidating? What's the word? It was when I originally thought about it. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be on stage speaking, like sharing my story. And oh, girl, I don't the stage. I'd be walking <laughs> up and down, strutting my stuff. I'd be like, Yeah, y'all then, better listen to what I got to say. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think I felt that, in the beginning, and then I then I shifted it to mm-hmm. what you just said, and mm-hmm. it was one of the girls who was in my NLP practitioner with me, and 
before any of this had even manifested, she said to me, she just looked right at me and she said, you, your story is powerful. I see you on stage in front of like hundreds, if not thousands of people mm-hmm. sharing this story. Um, I'm like, you know, it's important yeah. I mean, because this stuff is still going on in the military and it is important. It's not only, it's not just about sexual assault. I mean, it's mental health as well Yes, because it, it hits on, you know, the way that I was treated and targeted for my mental health. When I, I mean, I was never on medication. I was deemed fit for duty and yet look what happened. To me. Yeah. And it's important to share because you know, there is suicide mm-hmm. is still huge. It is huge everywhere, but especially in the military. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for telling us your story, you know, and sharing because, you know, we packed a lot in there, but I, I think that your story is important even now. And maybe, you know, I, I would love to think of a future in the military for our younger women where this isn't an issue. And if it does happen, it's dealt with immediately. And unfortunately, I I think as long as the military is the way it is right now, that they meant that that's not going to happen. But um, Megan, thank you so much for being a guest today. And um, I I hope, you know, that um, when is your, you know, when do you do? (laughs) I'm due in just a little over a month. I'm due June 21st. Oh, my goodness. My birthday. I know. <laughs> when is your birthday? June 21st. Oh, I'm June 24th. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I bet. So I June know. babies rock. June babies rock. Well, thank you so much, Megan, again. Yes. No, thank you so much for having me. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Of course. And for all of the listeners, as always, please stay safe. Take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible.